Cornellians. Welcome to another episode of Fresh from the Hill, inside stories of noteworthy Cornellians. I'm John Rollins III, class of 2006, and the 16th president of the Cornell Black Alumni Association. On today's episode, we are celebrating the 45th anniversary of the Cornell Black Alumni Association, more affectionately known as SEBA. And today I am joined by Cornell alumni leaders that have helped to shape our organization over its 45-year history. Each of these extraordinary Cornellians served as the president of the association, and it is indeed my honor to share with them today. And I'm going to introduce all of them, um, and I'm going to actually kind of go backwards um, to go from, you know, more currently to um, our first president who is here joining us. Um, so I'll start by introducing Michelle Brown Grant, the 15th president, class of 88, who served from 2015 to 2018. Next, we have Regina Little. Class of 78, our 11th president, who served from 2003 to 2006. Our 10th president, Katrina James, class of 96, serving from 2001 to 2003. Our 6th president, Marlon Brownlee, class of 84, who served from 1993 to 1995. Our 3rd president, Kevin Montgomery, class of 75, uh, serving from 1986 to 1988. Our second president, Dennis Williams, class of 1973, who served from 1983 to 1986. And the very first president of the Cornell Black Alumni Association, Sandra Black, class of 1973, who served from 1981 to 1983. Again, it is such an honor to have all of you here um, in this in this space, um, being able to celebrate our organization. So welcome to all of you. I want to get started um, with a pretty simple question, um, and, I'll, and I'll throw it to you. I'll start with you, Regina. Um, why did you decide to get involved with the Cornell Black Alumni Association, and what made you want to get involved as a leader of the association? Yeah, it, it is interesting. I was, I've been reflecting on that. I mean, when I graduated in 78, the last place I thought I would return would be Cornell. Um, and in fact, I did just that. I stayed away for about uh, 15 years. Um, it's a whole nother conversation in terms of the trauma associated with being a part of Cornell. Um, however, um, I did, I was cajoled into returning for a reunion, a SIPA reunion. And our, our, our reunions are like none other. Um, I think that's when I felt the connection. And in fact, I actually cried the first time. I, I mean, I partied really hard. <laughs> Maybe I cried because from lack of sleep. But um, I, I, I felt that connection. And, and therefore, that kind of pulled me in. Um, for the next reunion, I was the chair of the reunion. And, um, and then that's when I really just connected and understood what was going on in campus. And there was a lot with, um, at the time, we were trying to raise funds for the Africana Center. Um, and I started calling alum um, to try to get them to come back for campus for reunion. And they were like, no, I am not going back. There's no way I'm going back. And I sort of took it as a challenge, you know, in terms of pulling more of us in and, and to kind of reap the rewards and the benefits of, of, of SEBA and helping to strengthen the organization. Um, and then there were others that suggested that it might be something that I could do. Um, so it wasn't a planned thing, but I think I did kind of get caught up and I had lots of ideas and I know I had conversations with Dennis 
and um, and and with others. And before I knew it, I'd been elected as president. So, uh, but it's it was extremely rewarding, and it was one of the best decisions I think I've ever made. Absolutely, it's funny. I think uh, many folks would share that same kind of story, especially around reunion. Reunion tends to one of those events that gets folks to see the association, to see the community, and then say, how can I be a part? That was my story, too. So I love the fact that you shared that. Uh, Katrina. So interestingly, I am maybe one of the the minority in that I really enjoyed my Cornell experience. So it wasn't, there was no period of staying away and coming back. And I'd been really, really involved in volunteer activities, kind of university-wide. And this was an opportunity for me to step back and serve in a leadership capacity in a community that felt very close to me personally. So it was something uh, that I thought that it was important to do in my alumni volunteer journey. And it was just another step in all of the steps. And I I love the conversations uh, and to hear from people like Regina who talk about coming back and re-engaging and feeling that passion again. And I think it's one of the things we as alumni leaders struggle with is is how to help those people who maybe decide to stay away um, to decide to come back. Absolutely. Now, Sandra, I I have to, I want to ask you the same question, but clearly you were there at the very beginning. Um, So if you want to talk about, you know, really, as you all create, and I I know we'll have another conversation about this, but what made you want to, you know, really help start and lead this association? Uh, Yeah, thank you. Um, And I I guess I will go into a little history for people who may not um, listen to the Founders for Cornell podcast that um, you know we're going to record soon. Um, but I, I guess I'll start from the beginning when Irene Smalls, class of 71, and she's someone who I knew from high school in New York, from George Washington. She approached um, um, Carlton Holmes, class 72, Conway Boyce, class 75, Renee Alexander, which I think all of you know, class of 74, and myself. Um, and most of us were working in mid-Manhattan at that time near Park Avenue. And uh, she, she had the vision of starting an alumni organization to just simply keep everyone in touch. We were such a, a close-knit community, a family, if you will. And um, this, uh, she came to us and we were just out of Cornell just a couple of years. I mean, I left campus in 74. So it really had only been two years um, after I left. And we were um, very excited about that possibility. And we, we uh, some of us were members of the uh, Cornell Club and we uh, held our strategy sessions there and hammered out the initial details. And um, what better way to gauge interest in, uh, in such a project than to hold a party, right? So uh, I arranged for uh, one in a loft of, a, of a, an artist friend of mine in the Fort Greene, Clinton Hill area that I lived in at the time. And it was a huge success. We polled the attendees about the viability of such an association and which showed that the majority of black alum uh, who attended would support it. So at that point, 
I made the commitment to grow the organization with the assistance of Helen Claxton, class of 74, Claudette Jones. I believe she was class of 76. Uh, 75. 75, thank you. Thank you for that. Um, you know, it gets fuzzy after a while. Thank you. <laughs> Sheila Kennedy, who was class of 75, as well as uh, then attorney and alum Homer LaRue, who drafted and filed the original Articles of Incorporation in 1978. And we hammered out a lot of those um, details in my living room. And um, I can't forget the efforts of Eunice Jackson, class of 74, an attorney who um, her efforts were invaluable in creating the first endowed scholarship in the name of Dr. John Henry Clark, with whom I had the honor of taking two classes at the Africana Center. So um, that, that is a long way of saying that, that that is the time frame uh, in which I became involved. And so I was the de facto president since 1976, if you will, and stayed very involved for about 25 years and then pulled back a bit because of professional and personal obligations. But um, it's all been a labor of love. And, um, you know, I'm glad to be part of this conversation to talk about the history of SIBA, which is so important. Absolutely. Thank you for sharing that. And I think that labor of love has been felt throughout the, you know, lineage of leadership, the legacy of leadership, if you will, through our organization. I, I want to pose this question uh, to Dennis and Katrina and Michelle. Um, yeah, I want you all to, you know, think back and share a, a impactful and memorable experience that you had in your time as president of the association. And so, Dennis, I'll come to you first um, if you care to share. Yeah, I think for me, the most impactful thing was, was really institutional. Uh, we had had the first, I guess, four or five reunions, updates, we used to call them. Uh, we would have them during the summer, later in the summer, standalone events. I know for two or three years, they were in, um, we were headquartered in Risley Hall. And um, it was during, uh, during my tenure um, with the, the help of my staff, including Kevin, um, that we uh, we moved toward becoming part of the uh, the university's reunion structure. Mm -hmm. um, so that in 1986 was the first time that our update was that we became officially recognized. SIBA became officially recognized as a reunion class, and that was the first time that one of the affinity groups was recognized. You know that it wasn't just organized by year. Um, you know, and then followed by, um, you know, CAAA and CELA and other organizations. Um, so we set that, we set that, that precedent. And it was around that time or shortly after, because we were setting that precedent that the university established a position within alumni affairs to interact with us at first and with other um, alumni affinity groups, but sort of coming, coming in from the cold, if you will, um, and uh, sort of becoming part of a recognized part of the university alumni structure. Uh, that was that was big for me. Absolutely, absolutely. That's that's amazing to think about, and especially to see how it's evolved over time. Now, many of you all know, but we are actually at the point where now every three years, 
Um, we've, we've been coming back every three years for a while, but now the other organizations, it's kind of all diversity alumni group. You know, this uh, has been happening for the last few years and we're continuing that, that this coming summer. So that's, that's wonderful to experience and to know. Uh, Katrina, want to come to you. Any impactful or memorable experience you want to share? So I have one that, that was kind of tough and that one that feels joyful. So speaking of coming together, my presidency was from 2001 to 2003, and we had a, a panel and another social event planned on campus for homecoming weekend, which was the weekend of September 15th. So uh, that Tuesday morning before, obviously our world changed and, and life changed with the events of September 11th. And uh, trying to sort of scramble and, and see if everyone was okay and check in and then thinking more globally about what are we going to do with this event on campus? How do we reach people? And so it would have been wonderful for us to all be together and comforting each other on campus, but for safety reasons and other reasons, uh, we made the decision obviously, and the university made the decision not to hold events that weekend. And it was especially tough because one of my classmates passed that day um, in one of the two tower collapses. And we had just seen each other at our reunion a few months before that. Uh, but on a more joyful note, uh, one of the things that I really appreciated about my time as president was um, sort of representing SEBA and, and, and using SEBA and, and my role to support other organizations in their events. So I went to my first uh, Cornell Asian Alumni Association Pan-Asian Banquet uh, as president because I thought it was important to support all of the other diverse associations. And I love that we as an organization not only collaborate and co-plan events, but we just show up to support the other diverse students and alumni in their events. And so it was a really, really joyful time. And I go pretty much almost every year, but don't know that I ever would have gone had I not thought it was the right thing to do as president. Absolutely. And that continues, that partnership really does continue today, uh, which I love to see. Michelle, now I'm, I'm biased because I was, you know, on the board uh, when you were the president, but any, any memorable um, experiences that you had during your time as president? You know what? I was roped into becoming president <laughs> uh, by Anika. Um, and I told her I did not have time. And she was like, whatever you need, Shelly, I'm there, I will be there for you. But in actuality, you know, as a board, I think that, yes, they called me taskmaster, <laughs> but looking at, looking back and looking at some of the events that we held, it was memorable to look at the museum event. Mm -hmm. You know, when we, it was a thought while the museum was being built, why don't we sponsor you know, in a SIBA event of going to the museum. And I remember, you know, Matt saying, okay, guys, can you wait? Can you wait? Can you wait? And, you know, some of us have more patience than others, but we said, okay, this is the perfect opportunity for us to collaborate with larger Cornell, you know, to see an event happen. And the day registration opened, <laughs> and was full in a half an hour. I was like, see, 
they underestimated us. Mm -hmm. I told them that we could fill the museum if given the opportunity to. And going to the event and just looking out into the audience, like that was a proud moment. And then another memorable moment was when we saw that Black Panther was coming out. And again, everything is a collaborative effort of our board. Even though we're on this call as presidents, we worked with other members of our board to make things happen for the organization. And I remember John, John, you know, was willing to, to ride with me when I was like, okay, let's do this. And we went from planning one event at one movie theater to <laughs> I don't know how many theaters do we have by the time? Like fourteen? Yeah, I don't fourteen. Uh, like fourteen. And so, literally, I was driving, hopping in my car, and driving <laughs> to different theaters to be present and just looking in the audience and seeing, you know, mm -hmm. all of those alum. And I think we we sold out, you know, our events, mm -hmm. uh, you know, in in record time. And so it showed us the power uh, of connection mm -hmm. that we have. And so, you know, I feel that a lot of people, um, you know, during our administration started to re-engage, you know, on the small events, mm -hmm. but then reconnected with Cornell, you know, on the larger. And we're actually like looking forward you know, to, to attending reunion and our reunion in, what was that? 2015? The was our union? Or the one where you got elected? No, the last one. 2018. 2018. So that was another memorable one. And looking in at the dinner and, you know, we couldn't take any more people. We had like 400 that were registered. We saw people coming in through the sides <laughs> of the tent. But, that dinner was also about 18 hours long because we took about 8,000 oh photos before yes. we started the program. Every single group. And you can think of. Here's the thing. To go from just watching like a handful of people come together for a reunion to seeing like all these groups like affinity, like class something. Class it is. The AKAs, you know, the SGROs, like. For the people who attended Cornell in early years, like they didn't have opportunities, you know, to, to see that many black folk on campus. Mm -hmm. And so I really do hope that we have an opportunity to return, you know, to a face-to-face -face reunion in the near future. Because I, I, I would venture to say that particularly John, under your leadership, you've opened a new world with bringing us, you know, to the, into the 21st century. Technology, yes, use of technology. You know, with your virtual <laughs> happy hours and unity hours. Yeah. And other, other, <laughs> other parts of Cornell followed SEBA's lead mm -hmm. in, in, and have been able to engage alum that they never may have uh, been able to touch, you know, uh, through technology. Absolutely. And I, and I think, I mean, just when you were talking about it, it really made me think about the fact that those large events like the museum, like Black Panther, I think got us to the place where when everything did shut down and it was, you know, we were saying, hey, we need to be able to connect, you know, let's let's figure out a way. And it literally was myself and Shannon Tohar, who's our current secretary, on the phone and said, let's let's see if 
let's just see if folks will get on a Zoom for an evening. We had it at that point. There was no. It was just gonna be games. There was no DJ at that point. And this was on a Sunday night. It was about six o'clock in San Diego where I live. And within the first 30 minutes of the email going out, we had like 45 people register and we're on the phone. Like what is happening? Like I didn't think it was going to jump that fast. And I said, I'm thinking most folks in the East coast are headed to bed, going to bed, not checking email. And you know, for that first one, we had about 235 people register. Right. And it, and it continues to show, like you said, the power of connection, the power of the organization um, and what it really means for us to gather together, which I think is absolutely amazing amazing thank you all for sharing those experiences uh, i want i want to come to you again regina as well as you dennis thinking about how has seba impacted you in your life as an alum um you know what has it meant to you what has it done for you if you care to share sure uh, so so there's two there's um personally so my connections with my Seba family are as strong as any. I mean, I certainly have met more black people <laughs> that have similar values, interests, intellect, um, missions, um, just just that connectivity and 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 just the the, the sharing. Um, it's just been amazing. And honestly, it's it's Cornell. I mean, I also I went to Columbia University for graduate school and I'm not casting shade at all, but I am saying that I don't have the same depth of, of relationships as I do with SIBA, with 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 Cornell. And it just, and now with the extension, even with you know virtual and technology, it just it's continuing to grow and grow and 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 grow and and I get energy back from it and I just get this it it just um i don't know i mean it it just the, the passion and the 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 energy that i get is just um really has helped me and sustained me kind of personally and develop these relationships but also i've also kind of internalized and grown to appreciate cornell university overall and i've become much more mm -hmm. active overall understanding that i think Maybe into so, some respect, I understand what you're saying, Katrina. I've 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 kind of used it to kind of um, not to say get a foothold, but but I have moved moved into other parts of the university in terms of supporting, whether it be um, my own college, the university council, um, president's council of Cornell women. Um, so there have been multiple venues in in you know in in ways that I've supported the university. Uh, my own daughter went to Cornell and it is now a legacy and who knew, right? I mean, that is just something that that is really mind blowing when you when you think about it. So it's in my literally in my blood now. So I I just love us and um, mm -hmm. you know it just it just makes me happy. Absolutely. Dennis, would you like to share? Yes, definitely. For yeah, for me it's it's been um the the SIBA alumni experience has been deeply personal. I was uh, I was married for forty years uh, to a fellow Cornellian until she passed away five years ago. We attended our first SIBA reunion together in 1978, and we were at every one until 2015. Uh, for 
several of those years we were actually living on campus and so you know our, our kids were you know were, were part of it and uh, and it was like we were welcoming people to to our place <laughs> although we didn't have to <laughs> clean the house for it um it was it was really nice and you know i was able to have the deeper uh, relationships with people that I was in school with but didn't know well. I had, I was able, I've been able to form relationships with people who were my student when I was when I was teaching there, and then we were you know we were alumni colleagues together, and and everything everything in between. It's you know it, that is that has been my family reunion uh, for for my entire adult life. That's exactly how how I've seen it, and also being able to go from you know, in the early days with, with, with Sandy's crew doing all of the work to being, getting to the point where we just sort of showed up and watched all you kids putting together <laughs> this marvelous thing and it's like, wow, they did this and look at what they've done with the technology. And we just sort of show up and go to the party and, uh, and, and, and have a good time. And it's, and it's been great. And um, just to, to, to continue the thread, let me just add that I'm looking forward to the time that we're able to gather um, back on campus uh, for uh, for another SIBA reunion, because I hope to be there with um, uh, with another Cornellian wife at that point. And, uh, and if all goes well, actually one of our founders, Conway Boyce, will be officiating the ceremony. So Congratulations. We'll it, it, wow. remain, it, remains, it remains a family thing for me forever. Wow, that's wonderful. Wow. That's amazing. That is, wow. <laughs> yeah wow yeah i love this i love our community um let's see so um sandy and katrina you know we've experienced a lot as an organization in the last 45 years if, as you know from your seat from your vantage point what are some things that you see that have changed right and then what are some of the things that have remained constant for us as an association so sandy i'll start with you thank you um well, I've seen wonderful, positive growth in all directions for SEBA, from visionary leadership to much larger membership, um, to increased scholarship, to more commitment and assistance from the university and its staff. I've seen SEBA leadership like yourself um, creatively adapt to a more virtual world and to successfully communicate and engage with our alumni, even during a pandemic. And the constant I see, even virtually, is a sense of family that transcends the years and locations, space and time, it doesn't matter. Um, we're all family and um, that's the constant. I, and I know we always will be. Yeah. Absolutely. Yes, no, that is that is so true. Thank you for sharing that. Katrina. So one of the things that I think has stayed constant is our commitment to show up for each other, to support each other, to support students, um, to support institutions like the Africana Center and scholarships that are dedicated to, to champions and pioneers in our community. Uh, we always show up in ways that, that uh, let people know uh, that what we care about is important. What has grown in, and I think heartens me a lot is the expansion of how we show up. Um, you know, we show up 
beyond social events like reunion. We show up in really substantive educational programming and debates and cultural events and arts events. So we show up in ways that attract stakeholders with all different kinds of interest and perspectives. And I also like that we increasingly show up um, not only for other diverse alumni communities, but we show up as a presence in the Cornell community as a whole. Um, we raise money for scholarships in a way that lets the university administration know that we are important and we need to be heard and we deserve to be heard. We participate in leadership in university-wide organizations like university council so that they know that the strongest leaders among our alumni community are black people, um, as well as Asian people, white people, Latino people. So we are much more impactful, I think, in letting people know the contributions that we have made and will continue to make to our own community and to the Cornell community as a whole. Absolutely, and, and I think that's one of the things, you know, as we've, in, in, in my time as president, you know, I've, I've been pushing this, the, the theme of legacy, right? Because it's just, it's so, for me, it's so very important for us to not lose that, right? To not forget, you know, foundationally why we were started and how we continue to work and not just for our community, but like you said, on behalf of the university um, and how we continue to show up in so many areas and continue to show up in other leadership roles, um, but still making sure that our community is at the forefront, making sure that our voices are heard. We have those seats at the table. All of that is so very important. Thank you both for sharing. Um, Kevin, I'm coming to you as well as Michelle. Um, you know, we've really, we come to our 45th year, which is a milestone that many haven't met yet. Like I mentioned before, in, in the three years that I've been on the board, and I, in the time that Michelle was serving where I was a VP, you know, we've had a number of institutions, you know, reach out to say, hey, we are just trying to start a Black Alumni Association or a few that have had, you know, a, uh, iteration maybe that's three to five years old. They don't necessarily see things working as well. They want to. Um, and then they kind of come to us. What's the model? What do you all do? And they get a lot of insight from that. So we've had a lot, right? A lot that's been done. I mean, 45 is a great milestone for you all. What is your hope for the organization for the next 45 years moving ahead? Well, I'll start. I'm one who has reached 45. I'm class of 75, but I literally graduated in 1976 because I was in a five-year program. Mm -hmm. I, I think the milestones is, is something, and I'm gonna go back to what Sandra and Dennis talked about. I came in in 1971, and I know that the seniors who were there and the juniors and sophomores, the seniors were there during the straight takeover. And many people don't understand that, but that was the catalyst for 71. We had one of the largest African-American classes to ever enter. And everyone, I was a first generation college student. And, you know, I was part of my parents' part of that great migration from the South to the North and, and those who came from the Caribbean. It was a whole different mix of, of students, first time opportunities. And I want people to understand that it didn't just happen. You know, when, when Sandra was talking about the people, I knew Claudette Jones was one of my classmates who used to drive back and forth from Queens to New York. I was in Brooklyn, I remember Brooklyn, and dropped her off going back and forth. I think that um, as we reach 45 is to understand how it all came together, that Sandra talked about, we came together because we were trying to keep something that started 
Now, I happened to go to school with my best friend. We literally went from high school to college. But Conrad Boyce, Conrad was one who bought us, who told us. So there was this linkage. And so I think that as we reach 45 is to understand we owe it to others to kind of make that link. You know, my children didn't go. They went to other schools, Spelman and things like that, because they chose the HBCU experience, you know. But we had an HBCU experience in a way. There were no fraternities. There were no fraternities. Mm -hmm. No, that's, that was counter-revolutionary. That's, right. that's right. And so we had each other. We all came from the city. Most of us, I'd say an overwhelming majority, were first generation. Mm -hmm. And we didn't mm -hmm. understand. We, we, you know, we were in a whole culture shock. We were. And uh, I remember being dropped off at the bus station. I took a bus up. My parents didn't bring me to campus. Mm -hmm. We got on the bus at the Port Authority with foot lockers. So understand, and then riding up, getting there <laughs> six o'clock in the morning, and there are no cabs. The bus, you know, nothing closes in New York. And we look up the hill, and that's where we had to go, <laughs> a busload. And so I understand those stories, right? not forgetting the story. So the milestone is now let's start chronicling that history. Now that you're at this point, I mean, some of the things that San Sandra talked about was, uh, I call her Sandy Black, because that was her name on the radio station. See, she was, she, didn't know, she was a disc jockey back then. All those kinds of things. And uh, I think we need to make sure we're recording that, because we won't be here forever, you know? Like Dennis, I've had a wife die from cancer, so I understand. So, you know, you have things that happen along the way. So we need to make sure we capture that. And so as we reach this milestone, we can talk about it now, but we need to make sure that we're recording it. Someone's writing the story. I think that's the next milestone. So we don't forget it and understand the foundation, how we came together. Mm -hmm. Just to piggyback on that, um, I was the first director of the news department at VBR. That's right. So stay tuned for a special uh, podcast that we're going to have that's being coordinated right now by Frank Dawson. That's right. And the name, the title of it, the working title of it is going to be The Revolution Will Not Be Televised, The Impact of Black Radio Ithaca, okay, on Cornell. So that's going to come up in April. And it's going to be um, myself, Angel Harper, mm -hmm. uh, Stan Reeves, mm -hmm. um, Kendall Minter, oh, yeah. and of course, Frank. And we're going to talk about the impact that radio, Black Radio Ithaca had for all of us. I can tell you as a freshman coming from New York and listening to Frankie Crocker and the others at that time, it was it was an experience. You didn't feel like you left home. Yeah. And that yeah. made a big difference being yeah. dropped off at the bus, at the Port Authority, then landing in Ithaca next. Yeah. So, yeah. So this is, this is going to be a wonderful year to do what you have said, Kevin, to, to uh, chronicle to record um, our our 45 years of of impact uh, on the on Cornell and um, and our our family our black community and I love that I love that and, and, and Michelle I'm going to come to you but one of the things I it's funny because we've talked about it quite a bit in the virtual unity hours the the fact that a lot of our members were involved in radio, you know, early on and what you've seen over time, and this may be a, a, a full conversation program we need to do, um, is we now, you know, a lot of the students 
um, are using these virtual platforms to do these podcasts and these other kind of recordings. There's a um, Black Voices on the Hill podcast um, that's being done by students. And so they're sharing different aspects of the Black experience. I remember, I want to say right after I graduated, was the creation of um, a, a group of Black students who, I, I, and I can't remember the name of it off the top of my head, but there have been a couple of different kind of radio, audio-based, you know, groups that have come together. And I think that's just a powerful mechanism um, as well to tell the story, which is why I appreciate the fact that Amanda and, you know, Alumni Affairs reached out for this particular platform. Because I do think, going back to what you said, Kevin, it's important for us to chronicle. It's important for us to have these things written down. One of the, again, reasons I talk about legacy, because we know that as an organization, we're getting older. That means our membership is getting older. We need to make sure we preserve the stories and the history and the legacy of the organization um, starting now. I didn't want to wait until 50. Didn't want to wait until some other milestone. But, you know, while I'm at the helm, let's, let's go for it. Let's start it now because it's so very important. Michelle, do you want to share your hopes for the organization in the next 45 years? You know what? That we continue to connect to current students to help them see the value in the organization. And I think that we started that, um, you know, when I was president by having those um, times, aside from coming together for reunion, to also come together for homecoming and other times of the year so that we could work with current students. They could see, oh, there are alum in, in, in all aspects of life that want to mentor us, want to talk with us, want to communicate with us, and want to help us through some of the challenges that we're having as current students. Sometimes current students, you know, didn't know that alum were out there and that there even was, you know, a, a, a Black alumni organization. And so I think I'm continuing to become involved, more involved, um, and visibly present as we have been doing progressively more with current students so that they see us and they see the work um, that we've been doing. The legacy piece, you know, at that last reunion, I don't know how many of you were at the reunion, but if you saw pictures on the table, those pictures, like I'm a proud mom, you know, of, of a graduate. A lot of us were first generation students, as Kevin mentioned. Mm -hmm. So how powerful of a message was that? For every table to be filled with families of Cornell legacies. Right. It was very, very powerful. I have a, you know, and my son, you know, he's been groomed and, and, you know, in his head, he's going to Cornell. That's all that he knows, you know. Um, some of our children are choosing, you know, to, to go that route. Um, and others are, are, are choosing like an HBCU um, to have that experience. But I think that showing them the connections that we have to each other to this day, um, I think may inspire some of them to decide to, to choose Cornell as an option. Dennis, from the time I graduated, I went to every reunion, every, when it was every two years and every three years. And I could count on one hand the number I missed. When my daughter had a measles, um, the chicken pox, when I gave birth to my son and I was still trying to get up there, even though he was born a week before, like I was determined because it's nothing. It was, it's this, I can't tell you the feeling you have when you walk into Uj and it is a sea of people and it's intergenerational. Mm -hmm. 
mm-hmm. from the 70s mm-hmm. to the 2020s mm-hmm. and staying up all night mm-hmm. and having <laughs> conversations and thinking, you know, when you went to Cornell for those four years, that it was just, you had such a unique experience. And to hear people from the 70s say, experience too and Mm -hmm. to hear you from the 80s and for us to connect and to bond I look forward to 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 those times you know when reunion takes place and so I would encourage us to continue to document our history Mm -hmm. through photographs through helping the current students recreate that ethos yearbook even if it is a virtual document where we do something like that, where it's like current students and SEBA events, you know, I don't know what, you know, the design of the book looks like, but we have to chronicle our experiences because other organizations do look to us as the role model. As John mentioned, you know, uh, Black Ivy, which is a, a group made up of alumni organizations from, from the Ivy Leagues, are in constant contact with us, like, how do you guys do it? How do you get events, you know, with with so many people in attendance? We don't work a magic wand. It's about connection Mm -hmm. and care. We care about each other and we look out for each other. And we're like Dennis said, we're family. Did we come, did some of us come together to film a video on our 30th anniversary? Why do I feel we like we did. went to a brownstone Dawson. in Brooklyn yeah. and did testimonials and interviews for our 30th anniversary? We yeah, need, we to, did. We need we did. to find that video. Yes, we did. Find that. We need to find that video. It was it was pre-orthodontia, so <laughs> please. I spent, a lot, I spent a lot of money on my smile as an adult. Uh, that was a lot of fun. That was a lot, a lot of fun. We need to, Amanda, can you help us find that video? Yeah, we had to do some. And then we also had the anniversary event at the Schomburg in mm-hmm. Harlem. Remember that? That was, remember what anniversary that was. And I've heard things about that event. But, that was but, but again, you know, it's one of those things, of course, now with things going digital, I haven't necessarily seen. Yeah, but that's right. that's exactly why we have to document, right? And th- even those things that are not digital, let's let's turn those over, right? Let's get those to the place where we can keep them and sustain them. Um, you know, again, to show the legacy of our organization. So powerful, uh, Marlon. I want I want to come um, with one of the last questions I'll ask, and, and Kevin as well. Uh, what are some words that you all would leave for our current members of the organization, as well as the students who really are the present and the future of SEBA and of Cornell? Yeah, um, I would say that, you know, we need to remember that we, we share a common experience. Um, not the same experience, um, as much as changed, as you can see by listening to all the different experiences that we've had as presidents and, and as students prior to that. Um, but as, as, as SEBA members, we know that we've all lived the life of a Cornell student. You know, winters in Ithaca, <laughs> lecture halls, <laughs> libraries, parties, um, and many other things. Um, and, and it was a time of growing. Um, for many of us, it was the, the first time that we'd spent a lot of time away from home, um, away from family, away from those that we'd um, grown up with. 
Um, and those, those, those new experiences were, were different um, for many. They, they were positive and, and for some, you know, some were not as much so. Um, I will say that I, I love my time at Cornell. <laughs> um, and SEBA was one of the series of ways that I got involved in as, as an alum um, after I graduated. Um, current students are, are, are living that Cornell experience now. Um, though in a different time and, and certainly for the, for the past year in a much different way than, than most of us did in, in our time as a student. Um, but, you know, good, bad, you know, again, for me, generally good, but I, I believe that the, the, the sum of all those, those shared experiences is, is, is a common blessing. Um, and, and I would hope that we remain mindful of that and that, um, you know that we should we should we should look to that that common blessing as a as a as a as a bond which joins us together as a community and and based on that we should look to find ways to continue to support each other and find ways to maintain and expand and and enhance and you know deepen that that sense of community however we can you know I, when I was CBA president you, you know you have to remember uh, you know you, a lot of you were from my time and even earlier you know. This was in the days before all the, the social media that we have today, you know, Facebook, LinkedIn, et cetera. Um, I was CEBA president from, from 93 to 90, 1993 to 1995. Um, it wasn't until nine or 10 years later, uh, LinkedIn was founded in, in 2003, Facebook was founded in 2004. Um, it's hard to believe maybe for current students that for, for most of, of CEBA's existence, much of what we take for granted now you know, Zoom calls, you know, podcasts like this, mm -hmm. um, they didn't exist. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Um, you know, one of the things that I, we worked hard to establish when I was president was just to put out a regular newsletter. Um, it was the way that, that's the way we send information. If you were in New York, and mail it. Hardest part of being yes. president. And you mailed it. Yes. I mean, you know, but hey, I mean, but for most of SEPA's existence, that was the reality, right? I mean, and so as, as hard as it is to believe, and, and kudos to you, John, for all the things that you're doing, you know, it's an interesting thing to look at it from a longitudinal perspective. But at the same time, there's that, that commonality, as someone said. Um, you think that your experience at Cornell was unique and then you speak to someone from the 1970s or 1980s or 1990s or 2000s or 2010s or 2020s and you realize that there's something in common that we have. Um, it's, it's my hope that, that we'll maintain that, that sense of, of, of family mm -hmm. um, and, and certainly that we'll, we'll strive to uh, take advantage of whatever new ways are invented so that we can continue to do that. Uh, over time. So those are the thoughts I have. No, thank you for sharing that. I, I think that's that's so very important. And I, I had to chuckle on that communications piece. I do think that that continues to be a thing, right? The new, the newsletter itself and, and putting out this information. But thank goodness for, you know, a wonderful secretary and a great communications team that is using these platforms that we now do have. I laugh. When I was at Cornell, Facebook came my, I want to say my sophomore or junior year, and it wasn't anything like it is now. It was just one page where you, you, could have, you could have pictures. It was just text. It was boring. Now, 
do so much. And so I'm glad to see that we're able to use it and really connect with one another, not just about, you know, Cornell stuff and, and just about SEBA stuff, but to see all the amazing things that our alums are doing and to be able to support one another has been absolutely amazing. Uh, Kevin, I want to come to you. Any words that you would like to share? Yeah, I, I would. First, I'd like to mention one name who was the glue for many of these years, Ruby Sato. Mm -hmm. Yes. Absolutely, yes. Never wanted to serve as president. Mm -hmm. Never wasn't. But she was the person behind yes. and keeping it moving. Yes. And you know, she encouraged everyone. She was working in New York and then got and made sure we had someone on the university council and all those other things. And and so we'd be remiss if we didn't say that because she has been a bridge in all the classes. Mm -hmm. I think the biggest thing that I, if I'd say is that we all stand on the shoulders of somebody and communities are multi-generational. So now we're the older generations. You know, I was reflecting back as I'm, this is my 50th high school reunion this year. And so I thought back, I graduated 1971. So I said, mm, how old were the 50th class in 1971? But they're my grandfather's age. They were born in 1903. <laughs> that is my grandfather was born, okay? But I didn't understand, and I grew up in a multi-generational home. I had a two-family house where I had grandparents and my parents. And I think what we need to understand is that when we were at Cornell, I really didn't think there were any Blacks before 1960, <laughs> you know? And yet, when you read and you go back, you understand the history. We don't need to relive that. We need to understand that we all are multi-generational. So we may be the grandparents now, and you may be whatever it is, wherever you are in that stage. But... A community is all is multi-generational and we stand on the shoulders of mm -hmm. others. And the blessing that I had, I know my grandparents did not have a high school education, but I learned so much wisdom from mm -hmm. them and so many different things. And, you know, my parents had high school education, but they had one thing that they had was that they knew there was a better future and they wanted us to achieve it. So we made it through. Don't think that you can't, but don't think you're just starting from scratch. It was different times. So I feel it's important to understand that if we can make it through, and I know those who came in in 67 to 71, because there was no mass mm -hmm. there. There was no mass until 71. They had to be strong individuals, extraordinarily smart and very courageous and, and, and confident. I found that one of the most important things that, that I did not leave with, but I found afterwards at an early, early in my adulthood was the confidence that I didn't have at Cornell. And I think if I went back today with the same kind of understanding, I would be different. And so I would like to be able to impart that to others that you need those types of things to, you have the ability, but if you don't have the confidence with the ability, not cockiness, the confidence and faith in your abilities, it's a tough place to get through. So. I, I just see going forward is to make sure you don't forget your past, build on that, and you're always giving back. One of my lessons in life, you always have more than by giving than you ever have by giving. And so we teach our young folks that they will be better. And this, will, someone will be sitting in these chairs 45 years from now. I will not. <laughs> <laughs> and may I just ask, and I know we're going over time, but I just talked to Ruby last week for her birthday. Mm -hmm. And I was telling her about these upcoming podcasts. And I told her, in fact, I said, you know, Ruby, you're an honorary president. Yes. You know, you worked so hard during so many administrations. 
And she said, oh, Sandy, I could never have been president. And uh, I said, oh, well, yes, you were. You really were. And you and I together, too, worked um, very hard during some administrations where, you know, we didn't want things to fall through the cracks. So, um, you know, please, please consider yourself that. So, Kevin, thank you for saying that. And, um, and. Ruby deserves all the props that we can give her. And, and, and she received those props because she was one of the six awardees of the Frank H.T. Rhodes yes, Exemplary right. Alumni that's Service right. Award, what that's I call right. the Lifetime Achievement Oscar of Cornell Volunteerism. Yes. yes. Well deserved. And very, de- and very deservedly so. And, and I mean, still, even through my time as president, I've called Ruby for certain things and we're working on some stuff right now around CAN and, you know, the restructuring there. And so, I mean, she's been an absolute amazing part of our community, a stable in our community that you're right, has, has really held it together without having the, the title. title. I, I I would be remiss if I didn't allow others, if there was any words that you wanted to share or leave as we wrap up tonight um, that you wanted to leave for our current members um, or, you know, students who are our, our future of this organization. I just wanted to leave with three words that I, um, that are like a mantra for me um, since my days at Cornell. And they are a, a luta continua, which in Portuguese means the struggle continues. Mm-hmm. And we saw it then when we were students, and it continues today. And um, and um, those three words are all the words that I would want to leave with students now and in the future. That's yeah. perfect. Yes. Absolutely. So I, again, I when when Amanda and I were talking about the season, this was probably between this and the founders conversation was primary on my list because I think, again, we're at that milestone, um, which is, which is great. Um, but also really because of the legacy of this organization and what work you all and many others have done to make SIBA what it is, to make that community what it is, to bring us together, to support one another and to continue to support those students and, and the institution. I, I, you know, clearly have to say thank you. Right. Um, you know, we talk about this idea of standing on the shoulders of giants. I clearly very much do you all and others who are not here tonight, who could not be a part of this podcast or this conversation. Um, I, I have to say thank you all so much for all that you have done. Um, and I and I look forward as we continue to celebrate um, this 45th anniversary of SIBA. Um, even though we know it's not the most ideal, we will be having virtual reunion together this summer. And so I look forward to celebrating our organization, celebrating our impact and our legacy, and then helping us you know, continue on um, in this excellence that, that has happened for this organization. So thank you all again for being here. I want to thank each and every listener for being with us today. Please make sure to like, rate, and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. You can find out more about Young Alumni programs and how to get involved at alumni.cornell.edu forward slash Young Alumni and by following the Facebook page at Young Alumni Programs. You can also learn more about the Cornell Black Alumni Association at cbaa1976.com and follow us on social media at cbaa1976 
on all platforms. Music for Fresh from the Hill was written, produced, and recorded by Kia Albertson Rogers, class of 2013. And you can contact him at koa3 at cornell.edu. If you have any ideas for the podcast that you would like to share, please email our incredible producer, Amanda Massa, at amanda.massa, that's M A S S A, at cornell.edu. Once again, thank you so much to this phenomenal group of Cornell leaders. Thanks to all of you for listening and take care.